Tonight's reading is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's word. Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome. My name's uh, Matt Fuller, uh, one of the staff or ministers here. So we're looking at Genesis. Let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our Father, you are a good God, and the world you made was very good. So help us to understand uh, rightly what that means. Help us to understand rightly our place in your world, in particular what it means for us to be in your image. Help us to understand that rightly, to understand the implications, and to live that out to the honor and praise of your name. Amen. Amen. Now, what is, what is unique about mankind or humans? What's so special about us? I have to admit, this is not my regular read, but I did pick it up uh, uh, a few months ago. The New Scientist. Uh, and um, I meant to scan it, apologies, so you can't read it, so I can tell you it says anything. But actually what it does say on the front cover is humans are obviously unique, but it's surprisingly hard to say why. That's the headline. And uh, you can't see the pictures, but there's uh, an elephant blowing a trumpet. There's a gorilla uh, with an umbrella so it doesn't get wet. There's uh, a bear in a bike race. Uh, there's a snake uh, painting a bit like Rolf Harris uh, on a canvas. And obviously... The animals don't do those things. Only humans do. I mean, you could add a number of things. I don't think any animals cook. We're scared of fire, aren't they? Um, I don't think any animals have a religion of any kind. That would be another thing unique to mankind. But humans, they're obviously unique, uh, says the new, new scientist. But why is that? Actually, the leading article is all about language. Uh, it says that we used to think that language was unique about humanity. But now scientists have decided that's not and animals are just as good at having language. And so the article concludes, So, what is special about humanity? Sure, we're still special, but it's a qualified kind of special. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, sorry, just to answer your question, um, why are humans unique? 
we're kind of special. And that's what it says. There's nothing, doesn't have anything really to offer. It just says, everyone knows it. We're different. We, we live differently. We do different things. We kind of have a different view of ourselves. But it's unable, as an article, as a magazine, to define what that is. And what we'll look at tonight is, well, that's not good enough, actually. It's not good enough for the way we live our lives. It's certainly not good enough for the way we're set up as a culture, a society. It's not good enough for how we perceive of, our, of, our, of ourselves. We need a bit more than that. And the answer of Genesis 1 is we're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. That's what makes humans unique. That has massive implication for our rights, for our responsibilities, for how we relate to people. We're made in the image of God. That is what defines us. Now, last week, then, we started looking at uh, Genesis. We're spending a good chunk of this term looking at the, the first four chapters, Genesis 1 to 4. And uh, if you weren't here, we said uh, there are essentially two introductions, um, complementary ones, deliberately so. So uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3, uh, the emphasis there is on God created. That's really the emphasis of uh, uh, the first Uh, account of creation. And then the second one, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 to chapter 3, verse 24, the emphasis is on why is the world like it is? What's gone wrong? But the moment then we're in this first one, the emphasis, God created. And uh, last week we looked at the over, the overview of, uh, of that. Discussed a little bit if you weren't here about how, you know, evolution might or, or fit with that. But the point really of Genesis chapter 1, God made. God made. But even within that, within chapter 1 of Genesis, clearly, Humanity is special. There's something a bit different about mankind. And once it's just raw column inches would tell you that. So the first five days of creation, well, just over one and a half columns, I guess. Day six, the sixth day of creation, well, that gets a column all to itself. And most of it, certainly verses 26 to 31, is about humanity. Just so in raw space uh, of Genesis chapter one, humanity gets good billing. You get the slightly different emphasis all throughout chapter one of uh, the creation account. God made something, and it was good. And then it was good. And at the end, uh, humanity joins the scene in verse 31. It was very good. Now, because you need to say that in the right voice. You can't say that in an English voice. You know, God makes the whole of creation. Oh, yes, very good. Very good. Uh, you know, it was very good. You know, you need a bit of, a bit of emphasis behind that. You know, when humanity joins the scene, it's, better, significantly different. Now it is very good for its purpose. There's column inches, just the emphasis there, very good. But I guess most striking of all is the verse 26, where humanity gets a completely different introduction. All the other uh, acts of creation, it's a sort of divine fiat. Let there be light, fish, animals, just God orders it. But when you get to humanity, there's more of a contemplative, uh, certainly more effort perhaps, verse 26, rather than let there be, verse 26, let us make. Not let there be man, but let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over everything else. So God, Father, Son, Spirit says, We're going to make mankind to be like us. So to, uh, to get through it, let me uh, try and unpack it in this way. Three little things. What then is the image of God? 
what difference does that make practically? And uh, third, we need to look at how it pans out in the whole Bible. So third will be how do we restore the image of God? Okay, so very simply that. What is it? What is the image of God? How do we, or what difference does it make? And then third, how do we restore it? Okay. Very simply then. What is the image of God? What actually is it? Now, uh, chapter 1, uh, there's uh, verse 26. There's no great difference between image and likeness. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Because uh, one twenty-seven, God makes man just in his image. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, God makes man just in his likeness. No difference there. But the emphasis is, what does it mean to be in the image of God? We, try to sum up, we represent him. God makes us like him to represent him. More specifically, to represent his glory. To display what God is like. That will come in a moment to two particular ways we do that. In the way we rule over creation, in the way we have relationships. But essentially it is to be like God. To represent him. Or resemble him. Here on earth. So the word that gets used for uh, uh, image, Selem. Back in the ancient days, a nasty king would uh, ride into town. Probably not to send his army into town. That's not riding, obviously. But a king would go into town and uh, conquer a new nation. So uh, an empire would come in and uh, conquer a nation and then depart again. But what the conquering king would do would be to leave his image in the capital of that area. He would leave a statue, an image to represent him, to, you know, be a big thing, so impressive. Go oh, look at that man. He's 10 foot tall with a massive muscles, etc., etc. It was designed to impress, to represent him when he was not there. And of course, it's very common. You see it plenty of times in the 20th century when you get the dictators with a cult of personality. So, of course, in, in Nazi Germany, you see Adolf Hitler everywhere, and in communist Russia, you'd see the, uh, pictures, paintings of Stalin everywhere, China, Chairman Mao everywhere. And what are they like? Those sort of uh, images. And they're not smiling, are they? You, know, you, don't, you don't see a sort of Chairman Mao with a, you know, sort of Wallace and Gromit big smile. You know, it's not that Stalin's there winking at all the people, or Hitler is blowing kisses. What are they like? They're sort of austere, aren't they? Serious, don't mess with me. That's the sort of image they want to portray. God puts his image on the planet and it is people. It's humanity. We are meant to represent him. Not physically, of course, God has no body. But morally. We'll come a little bit later on to to how it's described. But in our character with compassion with mercy, with justice. We're meant to display the glory of God in those ways. We are God's image here upon the earth. So as uh, one commentator, I found particularly helpful on these uh, four chapters of Genesis, so you'll hear him again, but Henry Blosher put it this way. You could translate it, let us make man as our image. And that would be a good translation, I think. Let us make man as our image. He's a mirror to reflect what we're like. Humanity is a photograph of the living God. Not physically, so it doesn't quite work. But in character. Humanity is the image of God in that sense. What an extraordinary privilege. 
God says to humanity, I want you to represent my glory to the universe. That's quite a responsibility and a privilege that God gives to us. Now, as I say, that manifests itself in two particular ways. So we're to represent God by one, ruling, and two, in the way we relate. And uh, actually, we'll spend more time on these in the next couple of weeks. But let me just briefly put some pegs in the ground. First thing, God's representatives are to rule. So again, verse 26. Verse 26, let us make man in our image and our rightness. Let them rule over everything, really. The fish of the sea, birds of the air, livestock, over. Let man rule. Here's the first function that flows from being in the image of God. We rule. So I mean, we'll come to this, but simply to say at this point, when we make use of the world's resources, when we go to work and uh, clear away rubbish and um, uh, clear away uh, lawsuits that may come against a firm and uh, order information and uh, communicate it to people, when we go to work and do our jobs, that is a little bit godlike. We're ruling over this universe. God has made us to rule. Of course, that can be abused, but God has made us to rule. We'll think more about that next week. He's also made us for, secondly, relationships. Verse 27. God is relational, Father, Son, and Spirit. So to be in his image is to be relational. And it seems to me verse 27 has two types of relationships. So, Headline, verse 27, it comes in three parts. Part A, God created man in his own image. What does that mean? B, in the image of God he created him. C, male and female he created them. Or another way, let me try and rephrase that. God made mankind to A, relate to him, in the image of God he created him, and B, to relate to one another, male and female he created them. So it is when we are in right relationship with God and with others, that we are God-like? No, too strong. We are representing God rightly. We are displaying the glory of God when we're in those right relationships. Okay? So what is the image of God? It is to represent him. To represent him. That is huge, a huge privilege an enormous dignity that gives to mankind. What is unique about mankind? Surprisingly hard to say. We're the image of God and we represent him. Now, we'll come a little later. Not perfectly. There is Genesis 3. You can't ignore that. So the way we image God is distorted now. Not perfect, but we are the image of God. His representation here on earth. What's the image of God? Okay, that may sound a little theoretical. Let's pan it out. Uh, what does that mean? Or what difference does that make? Well, let me try and summarize it this way. If you lose the image of God, you lose humanity. If you lose the image of God, you lose humanity. So you can assert with a new scientist, humans are different, aren't they? But you cannot say why. Let me give you an example as we begin. Uh, I read a good article uh, this week, and uh, some of you will see it tomorrow. You can thank her. But uh, Kirsty Burkett is a lecturer at uh, Oak Hill College in uh, North London. She gives uh, one practical example of this. Uh, recently, a politician was asked to comment on uh, his view of uh, research upon human embryos. Controversial, complicated, of course. But uh, what is your view, Minister, uh, on uh, researching into human embryos? Quote, 
I don't see what the fuss is. I've looked down the, I've looked down the microscope, and they're just a bunch of cells. What's the problem with experimenting on them? Well, as Kirsty Burkett points out, Minister, you are just a bunch of cells. A bigger one, admittedly, but you are just a bunch of cells. Why can't we experiment upon you? Now, briefly, permission, 30 seconds thought experiment, your least favorite politician, do, do an experiment on them. Um, just enjoy cutting open Boris or uh, Ken Livingstone or uh, why not? What's wrong with that? You can do it to a bunch of cells. You're just a big bunch of cells. What is the difference? Size. Age. Seems a little arbitrary. What's the difference? If you lose being made in the image of God, you lose humanity. You've got problems at that point. Now, the main objection that... um, uh, mild tangent, but the main objection that uh, philosophers would throw up to this currently is the idea of evolutionary ethics. I don't know if you come across this, um, but let me very simply say that the, the, the point of this is the reason we have morals in society, the reason we say, no, you, you mustn't do that, you mustn't go and experiment on Boris Johnson, really. Um, the, the reason we do it is just because our ethics, our morals have evolved as a culture. We are selfish. Every human being is selfish, but we've worked out it's better to have some sort of collective morals in the long run. So um, I might like to steal a little bit on my tax return, but I do sign up and say stealing is wrong, because in the long run, I know that will benefit me. Now, it's hard to argue whether that's true or not, but all that view can ever do is describe what humans believe as morally acceptable and not. It can never prescribe because you have no basis to do so so again let me try and get get practical on that you might go to uh, Sainsbury's uh, tomorrow you may not but you go to Sainsbury's tomorrow and uh, you wander down the meat aisle and assuming you're not a vegetarian you wander down the meat aisle and you think oh there's lamb and there's pork and there's chicken and there's beef which one shall I have for dinner tonight I'll have beef it's on half price super now thought experiment Imagine, just five years' time, or maybe not, maybe ten years' time, you wander down the meat aisle at Sainsbury's, and it says, European, African, Asian, American, and there are different humans just wrapped up in cellophane. And you think to yourself, oh, look, Europe's on half price at the moment. It probably is, financially. But, um, (laughs) uh, oh, I'll buy some human tonight and cook it. Is that wrong? Why? Now, if you believe in evolutionary ethics, you might say, because we've agreed it's wrong. We don't like it generally. But you can never say that is wrong. You can't prescribe. You can only describe what people agree at the moment. Do you see the difference? You've got problems. That'd probably take a bit more than 10 years to be wrapped in cellophane. But why, why not? So you lose the image of God, you lose humanity. We are no different to anything else. Now let me try and push that um, in three different areas, what that looks like practically, um, because practically we don't think that's going to happen. Practically, let me just push that into three areas, ourselves, our relationships, our culture. Okay? What does that mean for our view of ourselves? That has a massive view 
of how a massive difference to how you view yourself. A massive. On, you know, in a modern society, what gives us value? If you, if you remove the image of God and say, well, that's, not, that's a little nonsense, of course, Genesis 1 and 2. What gives us value? Now, it could be a whole number of things. One of the dominant ones in our modern culture is our appearance. We have a culture of youth. Uh, we have a culture of beauty. We have photographs that are airbrushed and uh, do all sorts of clever things uh, for people on TV. So for many people, it is appearance that gives them their value. And we spend a lot of money on it. So last year, uh, the UK spent $1.5 billion on cosmetic surgery. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of money. That's the greatest, that's the, that's the highest figure in Europe. Dwarfed by the States and indeed by China. But, wow, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of nips and tucks and... I don't know, whatever you do. Um, that's a lot of money spent on appearance. Why is that? Well, because what's set up in our society is if you want to be, you know, if you want to be something, you've got to look right. The pressure upon us to look good because it's, you know, so important for our self-worth, our image. Of course, it is, it is all nonsense because no one looks as good as it's the projections on TV, you know, Relayed this before, but a friend of mine uh, a couple of years ago uh, uh, was on a plane, long haul to Sydney, a business trip. He was going to land and go straight into a meeting. So the firm put him in first class, and um, in the, the the aisle opposite him was a very petite Australian uh, woman. And he thought, oh, he sounds a bit like Carly Minogue. Uh, it doesn't look anything like her. And you know, she was dressed in these sort of d- disgraceful old. Um, Baggy bottoms, what do I call them? Um, jogging bottoms. Uh, and just, you know, anyway, she, you know, she chatted a few, and after a while, he sort of kept looking across, and she kept hiding with a magazine. And so he said to one of the air stewardesses, it's funny, she looks a bit like Harley Madone, just a bit, doesn't she? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't say anything, sir, but, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, you know, that's it. I mean, whatever it is, 20 odd hours is, Across. He said, the striking thing was, really? She looked nothing really like she looked on TV. Because you know, the projection we get on TV, by the time the makeup artists have done their trade, or in a magazine, the, the photoshoppers have done their trade, no one looks that good. She apparently, in UK polls, is the sexiest 40-year-old um, in the world. And much credit to her. But, um, uh, but it's not real. It's not real. But for many people, and most of our culture, our appearance, that's, that's what defines us, who we are. So if, we, you know, if we're unhappy with that, well, you've got to spend some money. I mean, as I look around the room, there's a, you know, oof. Um, <laughs> as I look in the mirror, I think, oh, I could spend a lot of money on you and, uh, and still only get halfway to looking decent. But how do you, what else do you, what else determines your view of yourself? If... If you're not made in the image of God, what gives you your worth? Crumbles. You better spend money on your appearance. You better look good. Because what else determines your value? So big impact on how we view ourselves. We are, what a pretty story. You are more like God than any other creature in the universe. God has put value upon you. You are in the image of God. Let that influence your worth.
uh, ourselves. Uh, let's push on. Um, another go. Another area then. Our, um, our relationships impacts our relationships being made in the image of God. Get to the New Testament, James chapter 3, verse 9. James puts it this way. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be so. So we praise God and we curse men who have been made in God's likeness, his image. It's not right, says James. The way you treat other people is, in a sense, how you treat God. That's got to make a difference if you know someone's made in the image of God. I, uh, someone sent me recently, I read from a few years ago, 94 I think it was, Mother Teresa, okay, make of her what you will, but clearly an honourable person, Mother Teresa, uh, her speech she gave to the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, I think it was 94, just a few years before she died, and uh, there's a woman who gave 45 years of her life in the slums of India, moved there as, from an, as an Albanian nun, 45 years with the sick and those impoverished, those at the point of death and orphans. And essentially she stood up in front of you know, a considerable room of influential people, Bill Clinton as president, etc., and said, the thing that drives me to this work is looking at these people and knowing they're in the image of God. That changes how I think of them. It should do for us if we recognize that. So as you go to work or, or studies tomorrow and uh, you, you, know, you get on the tube and you have your journey uh, and you get, you know, oh, there's, the, there's the businessman, the 40-year-old businessman who sort of barges you out of the way. He's watched too much rugby over the weekend, barges you out of the way and dives for the only remaining seat in the, car in the carriage. And you think about embarrassing him by pointing that out. Um, you think, no, he's made in the image of God. You know, he's, I'm not going I'm I'm to feel too superior to him. He's being an idiot, but he's made in the image of God. I mustn't feel superior to him in that way. And then the tube is held up by two minutes. What is this hold up? What is this hold up? And you realize, oh, it's someone getting on in a wheelchair and they need quite a lot of assistance. But you won't harumph. You won't think, why are you getting on in the rush hour, you foolish person? You know, they're made in the image of God. I, you know, I'm going to respect them. And in the old age person, you know, the 95-year-old uh, gets on. And you, okay, I'll get up and give you my seat. Because you're made in the image of God. I'm going to respect you. And uh, 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 the woman comes along with her baby on her shoulder, rattling her, her cup, and you're in your face. It's always in your face, isn't it? It's a little, no sense of personal. I'm not, I don't feel superior to you, because I know you are made in the image of God. See, how it's got to affect our relationships, knowing that. Ourselves, our, our relationships. Last in our culture, let me just take one example to push this. Racism. Why is it wrong? I mean, humans, they're unique, but it's surprisingly hard to say why. And why is, why is racism wrong? I mean, the Athenians had it, and they were one of the most enlightened um, uh, groups in history. They had racism and therefore slaves. I, I mean, last century, Afrikaners had it. A wild distinction between the races. Obviously, Nazi Germany would, would have had it in its treatment of, of Slavs and, and, and Jews. What's wrong with that? Well, obviously, racism's wrong. Why? Why is it wrong? On what basis do you say that if you lose the image of God? I'm not sure you can. See, Genesis 1 will say, all people are made in God's image. 
The only distinction there is in humanity is men and women. They're equal as well, it'll assert that. But that's the only distinction. All the other, no time to trace it through, but all the other groups that are made, the, the, the sea creatures, the animals are made according to their kinds. Different species. But there are no different human species. There's only one, humanity, male and female. You can't have racism. The Bible, Genesis 1, is very clear. Now lose that and well, you've got problems. Let me give you one example of that. Here's a, a very clear-thinking piece of writing, almost. So here's Antonia Senior writing in The Times. She's writing about the racism. And uh, the title of the article was a, a Flawed Philosophy That Bolsters the BNP. It's a long quote, but let me read it to you. The dominant philosophical framework of the post-war era has been moral relativism. That's the flawed theory she's talking about. The notion that there are no universal truths. Truth and morality are entirely relative to a culture or society. So, I think Nick, Nick Griffin is a buffoon. You think he's a dangerous fascist. He thinks he's a fearless hero of the right. Who is correct? Moral relativism, as philosophies go, is so nice. Because you don't say, I'm right, you're wrong. That's a point. It's a shame, then, that also it's incoherent, logically flawed, and utterly tired. The incoherence is laughable. The relativist's position is that all cultural views are equally valid unless your culture is that of a white male racist, in which case you're wrong and the relativists are right. Huh? I think that's how you say that word. <laughs> Do you see what she's saying? I've grown up in a society which says all views are equally valid, but I hate Nick Griffin. But I can't, I can't say he's wrong. I'm not allowed to say that. Or I do and say, you're wrong and I'm right. But I can't say that if I'm a moral relativist. So, it's tricky. It's tricky if you're an atheist, as so many of us are. I don't know who the us are. Certainly not the majority of the population. Maybe it's the, I don't know, what she's talking about, Times, journalists, I don't know. But it's tricky if you're an atheist, as so many of us are. Religion is like a moral shortcut, providing a template against which you can test moral propositions. Without God, certainty is even harder to come by. Who am I to say what is right or wrong? A little divine backup would be useful. So, paralyzed by our inherited relativism, fearful of seeming racist, adrift in a godless world, we fall silent. Into this silence strides Nick Griffin. He's shouting while we whisper. If his voice is heard above ours, we have only ourselves to blame. So she says, it's wrong we say nothing to Nick Griffin. And what are you going to do? So she says that the article is titled, A Flawed Philosophy That Bolsters the BMP. So what are you going to do? There's no solution there, is there? He just says, oh, we're believing the wrong philosophy here. It allows this nasty man to say racist things. So what I'm going to do is, I'll be really useful if I believed in God. Then I would have a basis for saying that's wrong. You see, I mean, those are her words. But I, you know, I don't want to do that. And so, oh, I have nothing to say. I cannot say racism is wrong. See, once it, I think that's an entirely... Uh, honest reflection of hers, and bewildering to my mind, but honest. You can't say it's wrong. If you lose the image of God, you lose humanity, you've got problems. Wow. 
By contrast, look at the strides that have been made. I mean, if you look at the speeches of William Wilberforce in the 18th, turning into 19th century, filled with Bible, driven by Genesis 1. If you look at the speeches of Martin Luther King in the 1960s, filled with Bible, driven by Genesis 1, racism is wrong. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. Makes a big difference. Makes a very big difference. So do you see, lose the image of God, humanity being made in the image of God, you lose humanity has implications for how we think of ourselves, how we relate to others, how we organize any sort of society. It matters. Briefly, lastly, how do we restore or recover the image of God? How do we recover the image of God? Now, let me take you on a very quick Bible tour. Uh, We're made in the image of God. But in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve fail. They're not content with being in God's image, representing him. They say, "Mm, I want to be a God too. I want to know all knowledge. And so as we'll come to in a few weeks, they fail. They fail to represent God's glory. They chase after glory on their own. And what happens at that point is the image of God is distorted in humanity. Not destroyed, because uh, not long after Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, it's a grievous offense to kill a human being because they're made in the image of God. So that image is not destroyed, but it is distorted. Sometimes, you know, you're a social occasion and you get a great picture. And I don't know what it is. Your whole family's there. You think, oh, that'll be a great picture. Let me have a look at that one. Um, you don't send them off anymore. You just have a look. And it's just out of focus. Mm, that's annoying. Everyone's there. And it would have been great, but it's just, just a bit blurred. It doesn't quite do the job. That's humanity. We're meant to be the image of God, his representation, but we're, we're just distorted. What do you do with that on your camera? You go, oh, it would be good, but beep, delete, because it doesn't quite do the job. God could do that, but he doesn't. So humanity distorted image of God, not destroyed. So what happens was we had read right at the beginning, a number of places it comes up, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, perfectly Colossians 1.15. Or Hebrews 1 verse 2. He is the exact representation of God. Perfectly. So God sends Jesus, God the Father sends Jesus Christ into the world as his image. And he rules perfectly. And he relates to God, his Father. He relates to other people perfectly. He is the clear image. We're the distorted one. His image is shattered upon the cross so that we can be restored. And that's what God is doing. That's what God is doing. Once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who is now risen, ruling perfectly, relating perfectly to his father and to us, then we can have our distorted image restored. As um, it's put in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 puts it this way. Paul writes, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So as we come and place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are progressively having the image of God restored in us. Implications? Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. So racism is wrong. 
But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Be the image of God. Be like him. Reflect his glory into the world. So it is as we come to Jesus Christ, the one who rules, the one who relates perfectly, the one who represents his father, it's as we come to him, put our faith in him, are transformed by him. Well, then we live out being in the image of God. We'll have a healthier view of ourselves. We'll relate more healthily to other people. We'll have the basis, the ethics for a culture that can work. As we come to him, who is the image. But outside of him, got no basis for ethics. Got no basis for self-worth. No basis for loving other people. Come to him who is the image. And the image of God is restored in us. Not perfectly, not this side of heaven, but progressively. 2 Corinthians 3, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And then, well then we'll be transformed completely. As our faith is in him. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we pray practically that a knowledge that we have been made in the image of you, the living God, that once we place our faith in Jesus Christ, have that image restored, we pray that practically that would change us, our view of ourselves, our relationships, and the way we relate to our culture. Would we be transformed so we live out being in your image and display your glory to this world? Amen.